Welcome to episode 91 of the Rich Roll Podcast with Keegan Kuhn and Kip Anderson. The Rich Roll Podcast. How y'all doing? Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the show. My name is Rich Roll. I'm your host, and this is aptly called the Rich Roll Podcast. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the show, what do we do here? Well, on a weekly basis and for free, I might add always free, I do my best to bring you guys the best, most forward-thinking, paradigm-busting minds in wellness, fitness, athleticism, creativity, diet, nutrition, art, entrepreneurship, personal growth, and spirituality, the people that are walking their talk, the people that are rocking the tools and the knowledge and the experience and the inspiration you need to discover, uncover, unlock, and unleash your best, most authentic self. Today's show is all about environmentalism. It's all about sustainability. And you care about the planet, right? You wouldn't be listening to this podcast if that wasn't a subject matter that you are inherently interested in, I'm presuming, right? We all want to know what's up with fracking, and we all want to figure out how to resolve this issue of the melting ice caps. And we all do our best to live sustainably. We all pitch in with our little part, right? We watch our water consumption here in California. We take short showers to not overuse our limited water supply. We watch our fossil fuel consumption, right? We try to leave the car in the garage, take the bike when we can, uh, not drive too much, watch our gas consumption. We recycle, we compost, and these are all great things. Give yourself a pat on the back. It's awesome. But what if I told you that all of these efforts combined are but an infinitesimal drop in the bucket when compared to the deleterious impact of just one particular industry that most of us unconsciously support on a daily basis every day of our lives. The inconvenient and uncomfortable truth is that whether we're talking about global warming, the deforestation of the rainforest, the overconsumption of water, the depletion of our soils, the destruction and pollution of the oceans, or the obliteration of natural wildlife habitats, there is one single industry that is destroying the planet more than any other. And it's one we really don't talk about that much. It is the elephant in the room. It is animal agriculture. Animal agriculture is by far the biggest offender in every single category that I just mentioned. Point blank, our industrialized system of factory livestock harvesting is just unsustainable. It's killing us and it's killing the planet and it is time to embrace this reality and redirect before it's too late. This is the subject of a new documentary. It's called Cowspiracy, The Sustainability Secret. And this documentary takes a look at just why the issue of animal agriculture and its impact just doesn't get the airtime that other environmental cause celebs do, like fracking. And today, I have the filmmakers here to tell us all about it, Keegan Kuhn and Kip Anderson. I first became familiar uh, with this project via their Indiegogo campaign. I think I saw it on Twitter or on Facebook, I can't remember. Uh, and I had the opportunity uh, the other day to screen it, and it is powerful. And I really appreciated the bold message. It's really solid filmmaking. It's also funny and entertaining. Um, it's kind of like, you know, as they describe it, I think aptly, uh, this kind of mashup or 
in sort of an inconvenient truth meets blackfish type movie. And I think that's appropriate. It really is sort of like that. Um, and after watching it, I really wanted to see if I could be involved and to help the mission, help what these guys are trying to accomplish by getting the word out about the movie. And I knew I had to get these guys on the podcast and do what I can to spread the word about the movie, which is going to be rolling out slowly uh, at the end of June. In fact, if you're in Los Angeles on June 26th, you can still come to the premiere. There's still a few seats uh, left in the theater. It's going to be in Westwood. I think it's the Crest Theater in Westwood on June 26th. And I'm going to be moderating a post-screening panel with the filmmaker. So it's going to be awesome. It's going to be really cool. If you're not in LA, uh, but you're interested in trying to check this movie out, go to cowspiracy.com to find out where and when the film will be screening in your area. Um, They're just sort of coming up with all their plans now about how they're going to be kind of going across the country and screening this. Uh, So if you don't see your city up there, they're going to be updating it very soon. So anyway, this is a really cool uh, conversation with two really passionate environmentalists uh, who have a lot of interesting things to say, uh, some of which, many of which maybe you may not be familiar with. Um, It's a powerful movie. These guys have a powerful point of view, and I'm really proud uh, and happy to be able to bring their message to you guys today. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And that's it. Let's get into it right on. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in Fleetfoot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com. 
who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful. And recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. I'm excited for you guys. Uh, thank you for letting me take a look at the film early. We're, we're honored that you'd want to see it. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. Um, and uh, I'm really excited for what's coming up. It's going to be an exciting ride, I think. And I think that uh, this movie has the potential to really uh, influence uh, how we look at our food system. And that's a big deal. You know, you guys have bit off uh, quite a bit with this movie. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to gauge people's reactions on both sides of it because you certainly don't equivocate you know you're taking a very uh <clears throat> you're taking a, a you know a very hardcore stand in in what you're saying with the movie and i think it's great you know i think it's uh it's a message that needs to get out there and so before we even get into what that is i mean i'd like to have you guys describe the movie yeah so the the film is it's a journey first and foremost it's about kip my co-director's journey of finding out about the most destructive industry facing the planet today which is animal agriculture. And if animal agriculture is responsible for, you know, number one cause of rainforest destruction, ocean dead zones, water pollution, topsoil erosion, climate change, you would expect the world's largest environmental organizations to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But when you go to these organizations' websites, it's nowhere. You don't see animal agriculture. They're going to be talking about fracking or transportation or dirty coal. So the story... It's the journey of finding out about this and going to these organizations and trying to find the answer. How do we live sustainably on the planet with 7 billion people? Mm -hmm. it's, it is interesting. Uh, we, we talk a lot about how to cut our fuel costs or, you know, how can I uh, get into, you know, an electric car or at least, uh, you know, a Prius and get my uh, expenses down, you know, get my fossil fuel consumption down. That really seems to be the thing that is on most people's minds in terms of trying to be more ecologically aware or sustainable in our day-to-day -day life, you know, beyond recycling. It's, you know, it's, it's pretty much all about 
fossil fuels, right? But what's really fascinating and what the film does a great job of of really uh, elucidating is the distinction or the, I guess, the sort of comparative impact of fossil fuels uh, or our, our, our sort of, you know, fossil fuel dependence of that impact on the environment versus the impact of our factory farming system on the environment. So can you kind of draw that distinction? There's a lot of statistics that are in the movie. And of course, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but, you know, paint that picture a little bit. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, there is a heavy focus on fossil fuels and, and rightfully so, you know, the the impact of burning fossil fuels on the atmosphere is just devastating and the mining involved in it. But again, if we put things in cons- comparison, you know, it's about 100 billion gallons of water is used for fracking. Fracking's a hot issue right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's a hot issue because it, you know, uses a tremendous amount of fresh water and then it pollutes groundwater. Mm-hmm. 100 billion gallons. <laughs> and right, we don't know what the long-term impact is also of, you know, kind of what that 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 sort of subterranean damage right. will lead to. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it needs a lot of attention. But when you compare that to animal agriculture, we're talking about 15 trillion gallons of water. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you can't even compare. So, again, it's the number one cause of water consumption and the number one cause of water pollution. This is making people sick. It's making entire ecosystems sick. And it's killing the oceans. This is an issue you would think would be at the forefront right there. But it's not. And it's because it's, it's an unpopular thing. Uh, issue and it's an unpopular sentiment to talk about dietary changes. Right. And we're going to get into that. Um, You know, why is it that this is not something that we're talking about more? Um, But just in terms of how the, you know, the movie lays out, you know, I think my personal opinion, uh, being a film snob, is that uh, whether it's a documentary or or a narrative film, it has to operate on the sort of three-act structure. You have to emotionally draw on your audience. You have to entertain. I don't care if it's the most educational documentary on the planet. It really still has to function like a narrative film that you would see, you know, if you're going to see the latest Marvel movie or what have you, you want to go on this hero's journey. And I think that's what you guys did a really great job of of doing with Kip because it's sort of this POV, you know, it's sort of you're see, you're going on this adventure through your eyes, right, Kip? And Kip, mm-hmm. it sort of opens with this idea of you being, trying to be the good Samaritan and being ecologically conscious and doing all the kinds of things that, you know, we're told we need to do to be kind of, you know, less in our footprint in a good way. Uh, and then, you know, sort of stumbling onto this discovery uh, that really we don't talk too much about. So yeah. how does this, uh, you know, how does this journey kind of begin for you? Well, it's a journey that's really personal to me where um, it started with, I thought I was doing everything I could for the environment and then <clears throat> saw a post with the United Nations long shadow report that animal agriculture is the leading cause of greenhouse gases, 18% versus 13% of all transportation put together. And that's when I was like, wait, there's something going on here. So I thought 18% I was- for animal agriculture, 13% in that, the, the umbrella over 13% includes all it's transportation, all like transportation, trains, trains, planes, planes car, cars, everything. Wow. Every single thing all put together is, and this is, these are global numbers, global right? numbers and animal agriculture was 18%. And here I was riding my bike everywhere. So that's kind of where the journey starts. Um, and then, so I take it once, do some more investigating, and then find the World uh, World Watch report in 2009. They their calculations, animal agriculture accounts to around 51 percent 
Um, you know, that's three to almost four times as much as 51% of 51% of all greenhouse gases attributed to animal agriculture. And, uh, that's that's, from the methane, like what's going on? Like describe, like, where's all this, where are all these emissions coming from? Their calculations combines, uh, the methane from the cows, the flatulence from the cows. It also combines with the, all the destroying of the rainforest and all these things that put out oxygen, destroying Mm -hmm. those and taking that out of the atmosphere. So it's, it's not just the bad things we're putting out. It's the good things we're taking away. Exactly. And, and then... And then also the transportation to transport all this billions of pounds of food. So then you have to, you have to account that too in this entire industry of imagine how much, you know, 7 billion people living on this planet, everyone has to get fed and the food that goes back and forth with these just destructive middlemen called, you know, basically animals for food. They're just giant middlemen eating, eating up our planet. Um, all the transportation that's go back and forth with uh, the grain. And then once the animal unfortunately gets killed, then you have to transport that into free uh, frozen transportation, refrigeration, Mm -hmm. transportation across the country, and then has to be stored in supermarkets and refrigeration. So it just adds up on and on and on. Right. So the carbon footprint for the transportation stored to everything that that's required from wherever it's reared to getting it onto your plate. Mm -hmm. Right. Everything. So yeah, it's an incredibly wasteful system. Yeah. Right. And it requires a tremendous amount of water and carbon resources. But hey man, we gotta feed we gotta feed the planet. Like what are we what are you gonna do, right? Exactly. Gotta feed the planet. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's what a lot of people will say. They'll say, Hey, we've got to feed people, so what else are we gonna do? And I think that's why it's not a, a subject, why people don't talk about it, because it doesn't even seem like, well, well, why are we even gonna talk about it? Because there's there's not an option. But the option is clearly if if animal agriculture is consuming, you know, 70 to 80% of the world's grain that could be fed to humans, mm-hmm. well, then clearly there's another option. We can actually eat those grains ourselves. So we can feed, you know, there's estimates anywhere between 12 to 15 billion people on the planet if we got rid of animal agriculture with the grain we're growing today. Mm-hmm. There's not meaning creating more, gra- you know, mm-hmm. grain lands or farm lands. Um, that's but simply- Keegan, we would just have cows walking around everywhere <laughs> if we did this. We can't do this. That would be it. Would be chaos. It would uh, be it would be India and Manhattan. Yeah, but, imagine that. Imagine how peaceful like that. Like if might you be. flicked a switch, right? Like an overnight, everybody did this. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's it's. I mean, that's a common argument. Like, oh, oh well, there'd be. A, but I mean, obviously, it wouldn't happen. I mean, yeah. you know, it would be a slow process of evolving. These millions of animals are bred relentlessly by by force. Unfortunately, most time. And that's that's what's really happening. And um, on the population note, um, we, we explore in the film, you know, especially a lot of environmentalists, they focus on, oh, well, the real problem is we have 7 billion people, and that's just too much for this planet. And we really go into exploring 7 billion is a lot of people going in upwards of 9 million in these next couple decades. 9 billion. 9, Nine billion. billion. <laughs> but what it really, we have to really look at is the 70 billion farmed animals that humans raise for food. These all, all these animals need to be fed and uh, they need to drink with their water. And it's 70 billion of them. And it's not the 7 billion of humans necessarily is what this, those 7 billion humans are doing. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, 10 times the number of, of beings that we're feeding versus humans, right? And that's a conservative figure. You know, that's that's roughly what the number of, of animals that are slaughtered per year. There's right. potentially, you know, anywhere upwards of 150 billion farmed animals on this planet at any given time. 
where I, where do you get these statistics? These are, are these reliable? Is this reliable data, Keegan? Yeah. So that was uh, a big part of the film. There's, the film is very uh, information rich, and we were very you know concerned that making sure that we could back up all of our information. And, and all of our information is backed up by research papers, uh, independent research papers. Um, and we actually use conservative figures in the film. Um, you know, for example, you know, you can, to produce a pound of beef in California takes anywhere between 1,500 gallons of water to 5,000 gallons of water. 5,000 gallons of water to produce one pound, pound of, of beef? In California. Mm-hmm. And that's, those numbers globally can go up, you know, they can be upwards of 20,000 why gallons. is it so much water? So, you know, cows have to drink. They drink 30 to 40 gallons every day, um, which is just phenomenal when you compare it to a human being drinks like about mm-hmm. a gallon. And then the, all of the water is needed to grow the grain to feed them. Oh, so, it in, yeah, it includes the water required to exactly. grow the food to feed the cow. Exactly. And here we are in a drought, supposedly, situation where, you know, we're driving down the freeway in um, in California and it says severe drought. Watch your water usage. And then you hear on the radio... Watch your turn on your watch your sprinklers leaks in your faucet, and domestic all the domestic water use only accounts for five percent of all the water. And animal agriculture in California all um, accounts for f- over fifty percent of mm. all the water. So you know you're turning off your faucet and this and that. You're saving a fraction of a percentage compared to say one pound of beef is twenty five hundred gallons of water. Right, so so you're better off taking a two hour shower, shower and just bypassing on uh, the cheeseburger. You, you could you could take you could <laughs> yeah. take a month long shower yeah. actually. Well, there's this great moment in the movie where you're you're sort of being the conscientious, you know, ecologically, uh, you know, uh, sort of good citizen, and you're like trying to reduce the length of your showers, you know, because of because of this reason, right? Like that's what somebody does who's thinking about things outside of himself, and then it dawns on you, or you you come into awareness of these statistics. And you're like, it doesn't matter how long I take it. Yeah. It doesn't matter how long my shower is. It makes absolutely no impact on this when so much of this water is going towards this system that is so unbelievably inefficient and at the same time, you know, really destroying the planet. Yeah. One, one hamburger is equivalent of showering six entire months. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, that's unbelievable. It's ridiculous. Right. <clears throat> we had a... Um, David Simon, uh, the author of Metanomics, I had him on the podcast, I don't know, six or nine months ago, and I was glad to see that he, uh, that you guys interviewed him for, uh, for the documentary. He, he goes into all these, these sort of numbers when it comes to the true economics of what it, what's required to raise livestock for food, and the extent to which, you know, government subsidies pass on these costs. So, for example, the $2 hamburger is really, you know, $7 or, or whatever it is because of, you know, what we pay in taxes and how the, the, that money gets funneled towards these industries. Um, and it's similar, uh, you know, it's similar to, to, you know, what you're saying when we look at how much waste there is and how we're going to, um, how are we going to begin to address this? You know, I think the only way we'll start to address it is when people have the information in front of them. And that's a big part of this film is that this information has been hidden or it's been intentionally avoided um, by these, you know, large international organizations and by governments. Um, The focus of the film is and the mission, I think, really of the film is to inform people, give them all the information and let them make up their minds for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way we're going to see change is when people have the information available. 
And, right. with, and with that being said, of, there's so much information packed in this film. What people really love, the screenings we've done, um, is just how entertaining it is because it is a journey. It's following a journey. It's not just a bunch of information thrown at you. It's following a journey that you go through and you go along and you visit the, the big green, as we, we call them, um, you know, Greenpeace, High, uh, Sierra Club, and these other ones. And you just see these humorous, humorous uh, interactions where they're just so willing to talk about sustainability. But once you mention the word animal agriculture, things just get really awkward. And there's some funny answers, funny aversions. And um, as a lot of people said, a few people have seen it the second time. They just get so much more out of the humor. They see so much humor in it uh, that you miss the first time because there's so much jam-packed of um, information and little nuances of humor that you just don't pick up on the first time of these interviews. Right. So, Keegan, you're saying, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to get the information out there, and this is information that's been hidden. And in terms of the narrative of the movie, we watch Kip kind of come into this realization that uh, – that we're never going to be able to really begin to address all of these environmental concerns until we really take a hard look at what's going on with animal agriculture. And then we start to, you know, watch you as you try to contact these organizations to talk to these people about how come nobody's talking about this. We talk a lot about our fossil fuel consumption. We talk about our water consumption, but nobody's talking about the elephant in the room, which is how wasteful this system is that we've erected around how we raise animals for food. And then you go in and you you visit these places from Sierra Club to Greenpeace, and you basically get you get nowhere with these people. You can't get any kind of answers from <laughs> from them about why they're not talking about this issue, which clearly is the biggest issue when it comes to waste. Yeah, and when you you know it's it's not only are is it the biggest issue of say deforestation. It's the biggest issue of all of them. There's virtually no environmental ill facing the planet today that the leading cause is in animal agriculture. I mean, literally, no matter what your passion is, you care about the rainforest. Well, hey, you know, upwards of 91% of all the deforestation in the Amazon was caused by animal agriculture, whether for clearing land to graze cows or to grow the feed crop, the soy, genetically mm-hmm. engineered co- you know, corn and soybean that's fed. Yeah, you have this graphic where you, you use like a football field analogy and you show how much how it's getting eaten away on a daily basis. What, the numbers are ridiculous. What Do you remember what they are? It's, it's about an acre per second of rainforest is destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the vast majority of that is for animal agriculture. It's, it's just astonishing. But again, you know, it goes way beyond just rainforest. You know, what do you care about? You care about the oceans. Well, you know, leading cause of dead zones in the oceans is from land-based animal agriculture. Right. Explain that a little bit because I, I, I didn't really know how that whole – how those two things kind of worked together. Um, and, and the film did a really good job of explaining that. You know, I think that was one of the more surprising aspects for Kip and I both while working on this film is that, you know, I felt like I was pretty well informed on this issue. And then when we did more research and you saw that – so you have these massive fields of, again, genetically engineered corn and soybean that's been raised just to feed to livestock. They use you know, chemical fertilizers and pesticides, and those all run off the fields. They run into the streams and rivers that lead out to the oceans. You have all this massive amount of manure and waste from factory farms and from feedlots and from lagoon pits. Um, those spill into rivers and streams that make our way, their way to the ocean. This huge bloom of algae happens when you have high levels of nitrogen in the water, and that algae deprives the entire ecosystem of oxygen. So you have 
these massive areas, in particularly in the Gulf of Mexico or anywhere you have like large- the Mississippi Delta, right? Exactly. It's got to be probably the worst. It's one of the worst in the world. Um, and we were talking about hundreds of square miles of areas completely devoid of life. And as in, you know, the leading cause, according to the EPA, the leading cause is animal agriculture. Um, but you know, even there beyond that too is is the fish. You know, there's more. You know, pigs are fed and eat more fish than human beings in this country. I didn't know that. I didn't even know that pigs ate fish. <laughs> That's it. So you know, an animal that would never naturally eat fish is force-fed fish, and it's you know, it's is that the, like is it ground down into some mm-hmm. kind of dry product for them, or how does that work? Like a feed product? Yeah. So you know, you have these massive factory trawlers. They catch huge amounts of fish. Um, you know, by what one out of every five fish is considered by or f- one out of every fish is the intended species caught. The rest of it is bycatch. And then they take those fish and they grind them up and they feed them and a meal to mm-hmm. factory farmed animals, so pigs and chickens and cows. Um, so again, you know, it's like if we care about fish, we care about the oceans, the first thing we could do is stop eating pigs. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the bykill that they call it, um, you know, one out of five, four out of five, this bykill that includes dolphins, sharks, sea turtles, you know, animals that people love and they don't realize... Um, by contributing these other things, actually, and the whales, you know, contributing to killing these other yeah, these, beautiful these species. These nets are massive, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so, so, uh, so we have this, we have this idea that you're putting forth that that we're not talking about this, but that's a there's a leap between kind of eh, let's not talk so much about animal agriculture and conspiracy, right? I mean, the movie's called a cowspiracy. So you're tipping your hat a little bit to the idea that there really is a conspiracy afoot, that there's a concerted or a conscientious effort to really kind of sweep this under the rug and, and, and consciously not talk about it. Well, I think it's kind of what you said, sweep it under the rug. And a lot of the, the film is for discussion. Is it a conspiracy? Is it not? Why would the leading cause of all these things that are destroying, literally eating up the planet, why is it being swept under the rug? What is the reason? Is it conspiracy? Are they getting paid off, These the big green getting paid off by animal agriculture? Or is it just internally they can't um, adopt their own choices of what they do internally within themselves and they don't want to change? Um, so the film explores all these different things. Um, so, it, you know, it's a catchy title, but it is, you know, is it a conspiracy? So the film really goes into that. And, you know, we don't we don't tell necessarily the audience of what to think or anything. You just learn all the information and, uh, and you can go home and explore on the internet and find out even more for yourself. And that's what we encourage people to do. It's not, we're not, you know, here to preach or anything. We're just exposed, sharing the truth, really. Yeah. I like the idea of sort of just opening the door and then letting, letting the person go on their own journey with it and letting them do their own research and investigation. Um, but when you, you know, you try to get, you try to get a sit down with Greenpeace, right. And you're stymied. And that, and, and so kind of the inference with that is, is that an organization like that, you know, maybe, maybe Greenpeace itself or some of these other larger environmental organizations, you know, they subsist on fundraising efforts, right? Like they, it requires like a lot of people donating money to these organizations to keep them afloat. And so the inference really is that, uh, is, is it possible that some of these animal agriculture companies, some of the big food companies or 
the big food lobby has contributed to the green pieces of the world in such a way to sort of say, hey, you know, we're funding you like you, you can't like, you know, undercut our bottom line or, or speak out of school about what we're doing. And when we started filming, um, I don't know, ironically, maybe not ironically, Greenpeace had a big campaign um, just totally showcasing that KFC had these buckets that weren't rainforest, that were rainforest friendly, that they weren't, um, you know, the rainforest was not tearn down. Here's, here's KFC. <laughs> they is should a be given a medal because they're yeah. using paper that was not from the yeah. rainforest. I mean, it was truly a promotional. It was the right. front, front up. Uh, homepage of Greenpeace's website. And it was, yeah, that they don't use, they don't source paper pulp from rainforests in Indonesia. This is KFC, who's conglomerate of, of um, Taco Bell and Pizza, and Pizza Hut. Yeah. And they're essentially promoting that they don't use rainforests. Con- congratulating them. And, and so what, you know, the film explores too is, are they, are they funding? How did that get on? I don't know if it was a homepage, but it was, it was pre- very prevalent. It was a huge, huge uh, article or campaign with it. Um, and, and the whole thing is, is it profits over planet or planet over profits? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are these big organizations, have they gotten so big that they need to sustain themselves and it's more important that they grow at a certain level when they go to these, these meetings or, and lost the focus of, we really need to save the planet or these profits don't even matter. You know, there's some calculations within decades or, or, you know, there are tons of different calculations of we not, might not even be here that long if we don't, unless we make drastic, drastic changes. And it's these environmental groups that we look to, to really lead the way. Um, it's not the, it's not the NY culture industry that needs to, you know, we need to point the finger at because you know, we already know what they're about. They're about profits and they're very, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a company, but it's the, the people that you trust, the environmental groups that we look up to. I grew up, you know, lo- uh, looking up to Greenpeace to show me the truth and then to find out this, you know, it's really disheartening kind of a letdown. So, um, you know, these, they need to be accountable. Right. I mean, if their whole sort of mission is we're here to save the planet, but they're not willing to look at the one thing that seem, seemingly, at least according to the statistics that you bring up in the movie, really is the most, you know, the largest contributor to the problems that we're experiencing and will continue to experience, then there's something concerning about something that. Fish, something fishy. But what? it's like anathema. I mean, you're, you know, that's, it's a bold statement to kind of come out and go, you know, hey, Greenpeace is, you know, they're not, they're, they're focused on the wrong things. Yeah. You know, the thing with, you know, with all these organizations, they are doing good things. You know, it's like talking about any of the issues they're talking about. It's important and it's, it, it's all needed and, and we applaud them for doing that. But if you're misdirecting people, if you're hiding information, that's that's a problem. Do you think it is a conscious effort or is it laziness or is it fear? Like, what do you think? I mean, if you had to guess. Well, an example, you know, we mentioned Greenpeace a lot, but, um, you know, an example is Rainforest Action Network. They have four, if you go on their, their homepage, they have four major campaigns. This is Rainforest Action Network. Uh, four campaigns and not one of the four is animal agriculture. They have palm oil. Palm, palm oil is palm number oil. one. Palm oil is a big deal, though, is it not? It is. We have a comparison. So, yeah, so palm yeah. oil. Here's a perfect one. So, but, you know, going back to Rainforest Action Network. Because I just walk around thinking palm oil is a big problem with the rainforest. Like, I just, I don't know why I think that, but that's what's in my mind. And, and absolutely. Palm oil, if you look at any of the large environmental organizations, particularly ones that focus on rainforest protection, they're going to talk about palm oil. And palm oil is causing huge devastation mm-hmm. in Indonesian rainforest in particular. They clear massive areas, you know, traditional orangutan habitat for growing palm. 
But then again, you put it in comparison. Well, most a, a huge percentage of palm oil is actually fed to livestock. So that's first mm. and foremost we need to talk about that. Interesting. I, I just assumed it was like for peanut butter. Yeah, right. That's what or that, candy, right? Or if you go on their websites, that's what they'll let you believe. They'll say, "Don't buy palm products," and and of course we should be limited in palm products. Mm-hmm. But then we compare that deforestation of Indonesian rainforest for palm versus the deforestation caused by cattle, you can't even of, compare that. Of all rainforests. Of all rainforests, you know, all around the world. Um, the, you know, it's, it's something like 15 to 1 or, or even higher mm. for the amount of land that's been cleared for cattle versus palm. So again, absolutely, we need to be addressing palm. It's destroying Indonesian rainforest. But let's talk about the real problem. The real problem is, is cattle. Mm-hmm. So on this website, there's there's the four sort of things that the four pronged attack or whatever palm oil and whatever the other three are. But the point being that animal agriculture is nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found, and and come on, you know this is a simple Google search where we find a lot of this a lot of this information. I think a lot of people would already know about animal agriculture is probably would know the general public. I think is not if the leading cause, one of the leading causes of rainforest destruction, um, but then for them to not have that as one of their four, it's not even one of their top two, but it's, it was coal. Uh, fracking. Frack, fracking. Um, tar sands. Tar sands was above it. What is tar sands? So tar sands is in uh, British Columbia, so it's not even near the rainforest. It's why would a rainforest organization focus on this and not focus on cattle? That's part of the issue too. Uh, but, you know, it's dealing, pulling oil out of northern Alberta's, you know, shale. Mm-hmm. It's a hugely toxic, very destructive. But again, if you're a rainforest organization, let's talk about the leading cause of rainforest mm-hmm. destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and why would you not have that on there? Right. So really- it's it's hard not to make the leap that they're in the back pocket of, you know, whatever lobbying group or, you know, special interest group. Is there a way there's got to be a way to track the money, though. Can't you can't you do some sort of forensic accounting or forensic investigation into you know how these companies are getting funded? Is any of that public record, or are they allowed to keep that private? So some of it's public record. Um, you know, some of them people, large corporations can make contributions through basically a third party donor. Uh, we looked into to a, a, as much as we could. We had a very limited budget and very limited time on this film. Uh, there are organizations like World Wildlife Fund who receive contributions, pretty major contributions from the agricultural industry. Uh, and they, you know, World Wildlife Fund will talk about animal agriculture mm-hmm. and they'll talk about how it's destroying habitat. And then their solutions are: we need more factory farms. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and we explore. We actually have a part where uh, we finally get an interview with the the countries on about the world with the, the U.S.'s, I think, biggest animal agriculture lobby group, Animal Agriculture Alliance. And uh, we asked some of these questions. It's a very interesting part in the film where, you know, you have to watch it to see the reaction when we say straight up, you know, do you do you support any of these organizations? Have you ever given money to Greenpeace? And, um, you know, you have to watch the film to see the reaction and <laughs> see what you take away from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the argument that an organization, at least, you know, the larger environmental organizations can be more impactful if they are working 
within the system as opposed to being like an outlier and, and taking a really hardcore stand on something that isn't going to happen overnight. So, for example, like saying, listen, you know, animal agriculture exists. It's part of our reality. It's not going away overnight. The only way to start to address this is to cooperate with the industry itself in a, in a way that we can come to some kind of consensus about how to decelerate what we're doing. You know, if that was the approach they were taking, um, that would be would be something. But they're not even addressing it. You know, not mm-hmm. even. You know, it's like you know we talked to Sierra Club and they said they you know we're going to release extended interviews eventually. But you know, basically, it comes down to comes down to money. Um, the return on investment for you put a million dollars into a coal campaign. And the return that you're going to get versus a million dollars into an anti-meat campaign and the return you're going to get. We're not asking any of these organizations to put a million dollars into an anti-meat campaign. Just put it on your website. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't cost anything. Just just make the information available. Hey, the, one of the best things you can do to help the planet is reduce your animal protein consumption. Mm-hmm. And we have a part in the film where we compare it to the American uh, Lung Association. You know, Lung Association, it's as if they were focusing on these side things like asbestos, but completely ignoring cigarette smoking. Because, you know, there's right. no way people are going to... And, you know, that was a reality about 10, 20 years ago, or 20 or so years ago. Oh, we'll never get rid of smoking in yeah, public don't, places. Don't, don't, don't even bother. Don't like, even bother. Right. And, you know, for them not to address um, cigarette smoking and putting that uh, to the side, and fo- it's almost like diverting it to these other things by hiding, you know, as you say, the big elephant in the room. And so how did they work with the, the tobacco companies? Well, it was pretty straight up. It was, you know, essentially put warning labels on your cigarettes, uh, huge taxes, as probably David was mentioning, meat taxes, mm-hmm. um, animal agriculture taxes. So there's the conversation. Will animal agriculture want to have that conversation? But is it necessary is a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but there are some organizations who actually are talking about this. There's some real champions. There's a Center for Biological Diversity. They've launched a campaign recently called Take Extinction Off Your Plate. And where they talk about reducing and elimination of, of animal protein from your diet. Mm-hmm. So there's there's organizations who are successful in doing this. You know, the Western Watershed Project, there's an organization who actually talks about the damage that, you know, cattle grazing is having on Western lands in the United States. And, and did you ask the, any of these organizations, like, how come the Sierra Clubs and the green pieces of the world won't talk about it? I mean, did they have a response to that? You know, we didn't have a chance to interview either of those organizations because of time restraints. Um, but from the advocates that we did talk to, you know, there's a lot of speculation. And that's the truth is, is that there's... We don't necessarily have a hard cut answer mm-hmm. because I think it's you know it's different for for each organization, different for uh, you know individuals. So I think there's a lot of things at play. What is going on legislatively, like on Capitol Hill currently, with respect to trying to address some of these animal agriculture issues that are coming up? I mean, are you versed in that? Or? Yeah, I mean, what's what we're facing right now? You know, there's a series of laws throughout you know a number of states in the country. These they're called ag gag laws, mm-hmm. which basically they criminalize exposing what farms are doing, whether that's the atrocities they're committing against the environment or against the animals themselves. Uh, and this is, you know, First Amendment protected activities, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, uh, repression, because this organ, these, this industry is very threatened by undercover investigations. So they're threatened by films like ours that expose the truth, uh, and so they're pushing, you know, 
their state legislators to run through these laws that criminalize you know documenting abuses. right and and for the listener out there who may not have any familiarity with what a agag law is i mean essentially it, it forbids you by law to go into any of these food production companies and film anything or to get a job there under kind of false pretenses right and it actually goes one step further for a lot of the states is that you can't even film from public lands so you're standing on a public road and filming onto a farm that's actually illegal in many states right that's crazy because if you com- it con- contrast that with like paparazzi laws that are so liberal and and completely insane you know living in Los Angeles and kind of seeing how that business operates they have complete latitude to com- wreak havoc on people's lives <clears throat> Because they're standing on public property or they're out in the public. And so the fact that you could stand on public land and get out your iPhone and and film what's going on, you know, 100 yards away on some farm and that's that's illegal. And there's a felony. uh, It's not a felony. um, But, you know, there have been people arrested. There was a a person arrested in uh, Utah for filming a slaughterhouse from public land. There was a National Geographic photographer who was arrested for flying over and taking pictures of feedlots in Kansas. Um, and it doesn't matter what your intent is, right? It's, <laughs> no. not, it's not tied to like some kind of malevolent in- intent. Yeah. And that's crazy. I mean, this has got to go before the Supreme Court because it's so clearly unconstitutional in my mind. Well, yeah. And two, you know, where was the motivation of these farms? Why, why would they not want us to see? And the reason is, is they know when we see the horrors that are happening on these farms, we're all appalled by it and we don't want to support mm-hmm. it. So it's bad for business. Yeah. It's not even a question of legality versus illegality in terms of their practices. It's just... Is it's it's just sort of trying to immunize public perception from the reality of how food arrives on our plate because it goes back to Upton Sinclair really I mean what he kind of talked about with uh, how hot dogs are made back in the twenties or you know like if you want to eat this food then you should just you should go to the factory and see how it's done and if you're cool with that then knock yourself out but most people I think. Because, you know, we're by our nature compassionate and, you know, if we're given the opportunity to kind of peel back the curtain and see it, I think a lot of people would look at it differently and they can't risk that. Absolutely. I think you got to the heart of it is that at our nature, we are compassionate. We're very compassionate people. Um, We don't like the idea that we're causing harm to other beings or the planet. And so, yeah, these things have to be hidden. Uh, but the truth is, is we're compassionate. We can't, mm-hmm. we can't hide from this stuff, and we can't allow it to be hidden. We've got to see the truth, and we've got to see what's going on. That because if we're supporting it, that's we're responsible for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, there's got to be some kind of test case that can kind of go up the court system on this because it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes down. And so, when you think about like, I mean, when you talk, when you use the word conspiracy, it's like, how do these ag gag laws even come into? How do they even get passed? Like. It's kind of insane. It's almost like a, it almost feels like it comes out of some bizarre dictatorial society. Like, how could this law get passed in a, in a democratic country where, you know, it's just bizarre to me. There's a phenomenal book written by Will Potter called Green is the New mm-hmm. Red. And it talks about just that whole issue of the repression that environmental activists and animal rights activists have faced. And then, yeah, these uh, shaping of legislation to criminalize fully legal totally protected under the constitution uh forms of activism and what did how, and he wills and he has a nice part in the He's film great in the movie yeah. yeah and also howard howard lyman who got sued with oprah winfrey by the texas right so tell that story for people who might not remember um what went down and i think believe 95 uh, about 20 years ago 
Howard Lyman got sued by the tax uh, cattlemen. Yeah, Texas cattlemen. The group of Texas cattlemen got together and sued him and Oprah Winfrey for him going on the Oprah Winfrey show by just telling the truth. Uh, at that time, mad cow disease was a big hot topic, and he was explaining what cows got fed sometimes. And just by telling the truth, um, it affected, according to them, affected the profits of uh, beef. I think right. Beef As I interest. recall, he was very convincing. He was he was convincing enough to get Oprah to kind of I don't I can't remember exactly what happened, but did she commit to saying I'm not eating beef anymore? Yeah. Like she said on national tell, like this incredibly influential person's like I'm done with I'm done with eating meat. I, I can't eat beef anymore. Yeah, I'm not going to have another hamburger. And I think right. overnight, For, yeah, like the uh, <laughs> she has the the, the ability to impact the entire industry through that one statement. One one statement, and just her what she felt at that time, and they they spent the next four to five years in litigation, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I believe with Oprah, it was over a million dollars. So she got sued, her show got sued, show and got Howard, sued. Got sued Howard got sued for libel? Or yeah. what, what was so the there's cause a, of action? There's a number of states uh, that have what are food libel laws, which basically say it's illegal to say something you know to be false against a perishable commodity. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is to protect you know, industries. It's, they're pretty un- unconstitutional at the base. Um, if you're lying about something, totally, that's not okay. You can't lie mm-hmm. about things, and that's... That's a problem. But when you say something that's totally truthful, you're just telling the truth. Um, well, yeah. yeah, truth is the ultimate defense to libel. <laughs> exactly. Every time. Exactly. And that's the reason why Howard and Oprah were eventually found innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the case was dismissed. But ever since then, she's kind of shied away from this kind of issue. And absolutely, people, it, it has stayed in our collective consciousness as a society where people don't talk about it. Is that one of the reasons why well, they, they changed s- the name of Mad, Mad Cow, right? Mm-hmm. Like what it, they, Sponge it like, form and stuff. Yeah, whatever. Like, like suddenly, like Mad Cow is taken out of the vernacular. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, Howard explains in the film that if he were to say what he did then, what if he would say now today, he actually would be found guilty because now it's not a matter of whether you tell the truth or not. It's a matter of if you affect the industry or not. So even if you're completely telling the truth, um, you're found guilty. So, you know, that's one of the concerns we had by making the film. One of the controversies that when we were making the film, we wanted to pretty much film in silence until we were completely done with the film and then decide, hey, do we really want to take this to, say, those 13 states, those states, Texas, um, um, that have these some of these just unbelievable laws? But I believe, like Howard was saying, it's under the Patriot Act, this is. So it's a federal. Yeah, I mean, yeah it's a trip. So for when he says that, basically, he is, is that with respect only to food industries? Like if he's telling the truth and that has a negative impact on business, then but, he can be convicted of what? Like that seems crazy. So under the, How does that work? There was a law passed a few years ago called the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, and it was part of the Patriot Act, uh, which basically says to disrupt the business of an animal enterprise, whether that's a farm or a laboratory or anyone who's using animals for profit is committing an act of terrorism. Right. So so that's using a very liberal interpretation of the word disrupt, because yeah. if words can disrupt, then anything can disrupt. I mean, I, I would imagine it's bizarre that that would be under the Patriot Act, because the only sort of logical connection would be if terrorists were trying to you know screw with our food system at its, at its core, right? But that can be applicable to so many things if that language is construed broadly. Well, the the laws were actually manufactured to silence anti-vivisection activists. There was a very successful campaign, the Stop Huntington Animal Cruelty Campaign. Um, and that has a lot to do with the Patriot Act, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and indeed, there was activists who were, who were standing up against, you know, 
animal testing. And so the pharmaceutical industry said, hey, we're going to create a law that's going to criminalize their legal activism. But then because it's animal enterprise, again, that reaches to food production, use mm-hmm. any industry that profits from animals. So yeah, and there have been people who have been imprisoned for under that law. So that is something that we went up against. But the truth so Keegan, is, essentially, by doing this podcast right now and putting it out there, we are we going to be <laughs> are we guilty of violating this law if suddenly one listener out there decides that they're going to reduce their uh, meat consumption by one percent? We've <laughs> negatively impacted the business. I'm sure you could argue that, yeah, being a vegetarian or vegan is uh, is disrupting the business of animal enterprise. I mean, that's the whole. This, I have this, to rethink my whole <laughs> way I'm living my life. I think. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, we'll have to do this podcast from Cuba. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the very Orwellian, and that's the scary thing. It's that how did we get to this place? And the truth is we got to this place because people weren't willing to speak up. And we, you know, we can't be afraid. It's this. It's almost like this on a, you know, it has this weird kind of Snowden allegory to it, you know? Yeah. It's kind of, even what he said, I saw in a recent interview with him, um, you know, there's fear, say, from pod, doing the podcast or making a film. And, you know, there's personal fear that you have. But then... The, what supersedes that is the global fear that if we don't address these huge, especially something like this huge industry of animal agriculture and do something soon, the global fear of what's going to happen to us globally way supersedes any one of us. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. So one of us is what is one of us? It's, it's, it's so much bigger than any one of us. Right. And, uh, you know, before I watched the film and I was kind of reading on your, your Kickstarter page and, and how you, caught, you guys wanted to kind of be under the radar and you didn't really want to speak to the the contents of the film too much because you didn't want to have to weather any reprisals or anything like that. And I'm like, Oh, come on. That sounds a little dramatic, you know? And, uh, and then I watched it. I'm like, Oh, I get it. And especially at the end when, you know, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but when Howard Lyman's like, you know, you guys sure you want to do this? Like, do you know what you're stepping into here? Like you better be ready to like, you know, get your shoes muddy, you know, if you're going to take this fight on and, that's some scary shit, man. So, you know, have you guys had moments where you're waking up in the middle of the night thinking, do we really want to do this? Or what have we really bitten off here? What are we really saying? What is our risk? I mean, if these laws are, are, are if, if it's, if it's possible to construe these laws so broadly, like there's, you know, there's some, you know, are you exposed? Do you think about that? Yeah. And that, that interview is really powerful. It was, and it was scary actually. Um, sometime we'll re- release that entire interview cause it's just, it's just such a powerful interview with Howard Lyman. Uh, after that, we, Keegan and I were like, Whoa, what are we doing? And that's, what's, that's, what's fun about the film is you actually follow the journey of us, even me following the journey, us making the film. And you see the reaction to that, you know, we actually did put down the cameras, like, what are we doing? Um, you know, should we continue or should we move on? Mm-hmm. And obviously this gave part yeah. of the answer. <laughs> right. And, here. And, and what was, what was the mental calculus that made you guys say, no, we're going to, we're going to take, we're going to keep going. What I was saying before is that it's, we have to, I mean, if mm-hmm. what, say we don't do anything in 10, 20 years, no one says anything, we're not going to be around anyway. So, so it, the, just the one individual, it's, the, the global community of what we have to do supersedes any fear that I could have for myself or that we could have for ourselves. It's like we have no choice, kind of. Yeah, and then the, the truth is, is if we stayed silent because of fear, we would be just as bad as these organizations that are staying silent. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't, we can't fall into that. It's just we don't have we, – we have a moral imperative to speak up. Um, and that's, that's really what it comes down to. So you have to listen to your heart and not to your – you know, that fear, that little, little voice. 
And what is your heart telling you about the future? I mean, are you guys optimistic or pessimistic? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great thing about the film, too, as you saw, is, um, is it was very, very scary. I mean, kind of giving quite a bit away the film. but And then all of a sudden, the light came on, we continued on, and then we just see how fast this shift is happening because it is being done. It's not, it's not happening in the future, the near future. It's already happening. You know, we interview these incredible companies beyond meat, beyond egg, these, uh, veganic, um, agriculture where they don't even use animal compost. Uh, these just thriving businesses being funded by Bill Gates and, you know, Biz Stone. And you see everywhere around you, all these new restaurants opening up, um, just the consciousness that is happening so fast now that, that I am just over elated how, how fast the shift is happening. And a lot of it already has happened. And now in a way it's kind of fun to enjoy the ride because it's already happened. You're either part of the antiquate, antiquated, barbaric system you're part of this new exciting dynamic of you know compassion and true humanity coming together for this next generation this next evolution that we've been waiting for that was beautifully put i would have uh yeah i mean i i am thinking the same thing i would not have articulated it that well so thank you for that but yeah i mean it's even in the last two years three years four years what you see around is completely different than what it was a couple of years ago like yeah like the beyond eggs the guys at beyond eggs and the guys at beyond meat and and the fact that the that silicon valley and the tech sector has gotten interested and invested in this they don't do that out of um you know because they think it's you know, sort of, it's out of the goodness of their heart. Like they realize like, this is where things are moving. Like they go where the trends are and this is where people are going. That's, this is where the future of our country lies. And to see that happening and unfolding so quickly uh, is pretty encouraging, I think. Well, I mean, your your show and your talks are a perfect example of that. You know, it's that there's a reason why, you know, you have a top rated podcast is because this is this is an issue that's very important and it's just growing. Mm-hmm. People, well, people want the truth, and we were talking about this at lunch today. You know, uh, sort of as we get more and more, as we spend more and more time getting our information online, as opposed to from the nightly news or you know the the AM radio or what have you, we've become much more finely attuned. Our bullshit meters are are like super sharp, right? So we know when we're being marketed to or lied to or pitched to. And I think people can just see through it, you know, and there's a desire and an interest in, in, in really kind of tapping into something more authentic, something yeah. more sustainable, where you know it's real and you know it's the truth and you just can't be in denial about it anymore. And I think that as these, you know, covers continue to get pulled, um, that, uh, that things are going to continue to change. But what's great is that we're providing these awesome opportunities and alternatives like it's not like oh no you know i can't eat at kfc anymore what am i going to do it's like oh well look there's cafe gratitude that place tastes amazing you if know? you can or, get in if you, you can wait can, the yeah, line yeah exactly but i mean the <laughs> fact i mean every week there's new restaurants popping up and 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 new you know natural food markets with and it's becoming more cost effective for people that are you know because you know budget's a big deal with this stuff um, it's becoming more democratic in that sense and, and more mainstream, and it's just, it's blowing up. It's like we're reaching that Malcolm Gladwell tipping point moment, and you know your film is just another kind of element in that that is that is sort of 
you know, pushing the leverage uh, past that point in yeah. school. And I think, and I, I truly believe the tipping point already has, it has been tipped. And you see, like Cafe Gratitude or these vegan restaurants, you can't even get in. And where mm-hmm. capitalism is combining with this conscious, this conscious capitalism where, like you said, they're not doing it because they should or they have to for the environment or the health or whatever. They're doing it because they're making business. money and they're thriving. Yeah. And um, to see that's just like the clean sector. It's because it's making money. So you have this whole new capitalist society that's that's growing based on a conscious level that's exciting to see what's right. going right i mean well and truly the way our our culture is erected and and functions that's the only way things are going to change is if it's good business to change you know and the fact that it is now good business to be that way that is powerful yeah right? I, I think you know hampton creek foods who produces a the Beyond Egg product. Mm-hmm. That's Josh their, yeah, that's their whole model. You know, is, is 10x. It's got to be 10 times cheaper, 10 times more sustainable, 10 times healthier. Uh, and they're doing it. You know, they're showing that, hey, you can produce an egg substitute, an egg product that's 10 times cheaper than eggs. So it's, just, it's not like this is an elitist thing. This is something that makes business sense that everyone in the world could potentially have. Um, that's, that's real solutions. That's mm-hmm. not, again, some, you know, you know, elitist sort of vegan thing that's that's real solution for the mass populace and right. that's what we need right 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 all right so it's cowspiracy it's not chicken spiracy so is it just about the cows like is it just beef chicken spiracy just wasn't as catchy <laughs> so. i don't know i kind of like that our, one of our taglines that's the second it, movie yeah yeah <laughs> our tagline with the sustainability secret for a while it was um uh uh, cows, chicken, or yeah, it was cowspiracy. Cows, chickens, and other fishy Where's business. Oh yeah, you know, uh-huh. the, our pigs, chickens, and other fishy business. But um, no, it's the entire animal agriculture industry that. Yeah, and then again, it goes into. You what know, a, you know, what about like somebody who says, "Well, you know, I don't, I don't eat beef because I don't want to participate in that." But you know, I, I, I need my salmon, or you know, I have chicken once in a while. It's healthier for you. Yeah, look at how the, do the numbers break down on that? You know the. It is the least sustainable meat you could eat. Uh, a relatively sustainable fish. would be beef. Beef. Um, but for as far as greenhouse gases, you know, sheep produce more greenhouse gases per pound of their flesh than cows do. Uh, yeah, you know, chickens are going to be more sustainable, but it's a relative sustainable. Can everybody on the planet eat as much chicken as people in the United States are? No, there's there's not enough land. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know, it, there's still about a four to one ratio for the pound of. Four pounds of grain to produce one pound of chicken. Well, that's four pounds of grain that hungry people could be eating. Mm-hmm. You know, you were throwing away three pounds of grain, just throwing it away, so we can produce you know animal protein that's killing us. You know, mm-hmm. um, so on a global scale, and I think that's when we have to think about sustainability. People will constantly say, "Well, this is sustainable." Look at it global: seven billion people. Can seven billion people get away with doing that? And the answer is no. Mm-hmm. The only way we're going to do it, you know, there's not enough land on this planet right now. It takes. Right now, there's less than an acre of land per person, a farmable land per person on the planet. And it takes upwards of three acres to produce the food that the average American who eats meat you know, needs. To- right. So if we continue on this track and we make no changes and we, pop, the population, the global population continues to grow at the rate that it's growing, and we're just going to continue to feed people with this system that we have set up, like how much longer would we be able to do this before there's just either no water left or no land left, or we reach some sort of cataclysmic, you know, end point. California, we don't have much water left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's the numbers vary. Uh, I mean, they're saying within the next 10 years, you know, upwards of 60% of Eastern Africa's population won't have enough water to meet their food demands. Uh, when people don't have enough water to grow their food, 
you're going to have massive violent wars. Mm -hmm. Hungry people are dangerous people. Um, the part of the problem, though, is that that's so far away. So we're here in California, and it's cheap. Man. You know, you go to the supermarket or you can go to fast food, and meat is cheap. So what's the problem? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's very difficult to connect the dots and, and to see that there's something wrong when it seems to be functioning perfectly fine. Yeah, well, so that, that cheap, you know, as David Simon would say, um, you know, let, let, let the Tea Party have their way and let's take, get rid of federal subsidies and we'll see what happens to the price of, of a hamburger. That 99 cent hamburger is not going to be 99 cents anymore when it doesn't mm -hmm. have federal subsidies behind it. It's going to be a, you know, a $7, $11 hamburger. Right. And well, I'm not, I'm not a Tea Party guy, but that's not <laughs> such a bad idea, right? Right. You know, it, again, like, let's look at what is the true cost of it. And then, you know, as far as cheap, well, how cheap is it when we're paying for, you know, trillions of dollars in healthcare every year? You know, how cheap is it when we're, you know, polluting the water that we all have to drink? You know, it's not cheap. There's nothing cheap about it. It's mm -hmm. the most expensive, destructive thing we could possibly do. Mm -hmm. And we explore into, let's say, like grass-fed beef where, you know... That's um, what I want to talk about next, yeah, so actually. People so, think that's more sustainable, but it takes so much land for grass-fed beef compared to factory factory. Uh, farm beef. Um, it just does. It takes a lot of, I believe with the factory farm, was it two acres per every cow and grass fed, it takes upwards, upwards of, even in the film, he, a farmer said upwards of 50, 20 to 50 acres. Imagine 50 acres for one cow. Mm -hmm. So when people talk about sustainable, oh, I have grass fed beef. It's not sustainable. It's privilegeable. You can afford this and you have some access to this ridiculously huge, huge farm that's taking up all the wildlife. So all the wildlife is being shut out of these huge grass-fed um, operations with fences surrounding thousands and tens of thousands of acres um, so they can have the grass-fed beef and think that they're being sustainable and really, you know, it's privilegeable in the entire planet, the, the U.S. alone. If the U.S. alone, we have a stat in the film, if the U.S. alone decided to eat all their meat was grass-fed beef, it would take every square inch up into Canada, every square inch of the entire North America of U.S., all the way down to Central America, into Brazil, just to feed the U.S. demand on meat if it was all grass-fed beef. That's mm -hmm. how much land it takes. It's right. So it's really not – I mean, it seems to me that, yeah, it's. I think that's a great word, privilegeable, um, you know, because people will say, well, it's, it's grass-fed. So it's almost like, oh, I feel better about my choice because the – Carbon footprint is less if it's local, right? So mm -hmm. I can feel good about that. And I can feel good from an ethical point of view because these animals are having a little bit more of an enjoyable life experience before, they're, yeah. before they arrive on my plate. Um, but where do we, where's the divining line between kind of just a nice story or denial and the truth. Because I think that, I mean, is, is grass fed, is that, is that a, a, a term that is legally defined? Because it seems like there's a, a pretty wide spectrum of what constitutes grass fed. As far as I know, there's not, uh, I mean, there's, you know, USDA um, organic certification, but as far as grass fed, I don't think there's actually uh, legally legal definitions of right. it uh, and the truth is too almost all grass-fed cows are actually finished in feedlots so they live 80 percent of their life on grass and then the last you know number of months they're living eating corn in a concentrated oh, I didn't know that. so they get they get relocated from yeah. more, their, the nice pasture to uh -huh. some other kind of yeah, they, they last, call it last stop on the train <laughs> they call it finishing it's like the very end of hansel and gretel the last couple couple hours of 
binging on a bunch of food before they get I mean, it, and it really is. You know, Hansel and Gretel is, is the perfect example is that, you know, people will also go to the humane aspect. Well, it's more humane. Okay, maybe it's not sustainable, but it's more humane. It's like, well, what's humane about like treating an animal nicely and fatting them up and then killing them? There's nothing really that humane about that. Yeah, well, ultimately the end game is the same. <laughs> Although I will say that the grass-fed farm that you visit in the film, that did look like a pretty nice farm. Your entire two years that they could live. It was was unbelievably huge. 4,500 acres to feed, I think, only, what, 236 people or a couple hundred people. Yeah, about about 70 people. Where Was that in Northern California? Northern California in perfect conditions where it was um, always a certain humidity and, you know, it was lush. But, you know, you can't have that in uh, Nevada and most places, Eastern California. You can only have this in certain locations. Um, that's the other part of it too. You can't have this everywhere. And then, you know, with the grass fed and Keegan can talk about this, uh, what really affected me was how the wildlife is affected by, by say grass fed beef. Um, you want to, yeah, I mean, so we have, I think this is a shocking part for, of the film was the impact of cattle ranching on the West and how it affects wildlife like wild horses. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, the government is rounding up wild horses in mass and putting them in concentrated feeding operations. Um, over 50,000 wild horses actually right now are in uh, confinement. There's more wild horses in captivity than there are free on and the, the reason Why are they rounding them up? Because they eat the same things that cattle eat. And so you have ranchers who get allotments. They lease the land from the federal government. This is land that we all own, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, they lease it for a fraction of the cost that what it really would cost to graze those animals. And then they put pressure. You know, they're they're totally decimating the American West. There's an author who wrote a book called uh, Canary on the Rim about weapons testing in the West. And he starts off his book by talking about that cattle is doing more damage to the American West than nuclear testing ever could or would because it just, just totally destroys ecosystems. You know, topsoil erosion kills the native plant species, uh, you know, competes with native fauna for the same feed. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, these cattle groups uh, and ranchers put pressure on the BLM and say, hey, the horses are eating what my cows should be eating. So the government, instead of saying, yeah, get your cows off the land, they take the horses off. And what do they do with the horses? So there's a there's a law that protects wild horses and burros that they can't be slaughtered. Um, So they stay in these feed lots at and they try and adopt some of them out, but you're not going to adopt out 50,000. Mm-hmm. So they can't legally sell them to kill buyers. But there was a report came out last year, ProPublica, that exposed that a number of horses were being sold to slaughter. And they were being sold to kill buyers who then would drive the horses from the United States into Mexico where you can legally slaughter mm-hmm. horses for human consumption. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wild horses, people care deeply about wild horses. They care deeply about wolves. Wolves are being decimated because mm-hmm. of cattle ranching. You know, the wolves, you know, prey on cattle sometimes and so rancher calls up you know the department of agriculture and says i'm one of my cows was attacked by a wolf and they'll come out and they'll annihilate the entire pack so they won't there's no uh legal requirement to protect the wolves to relocate them humanely they're allowed to just open fire on the wolves there used to be under um when the wolves were listed as an endangered species they were protected and they couldn't be killed uh now they've come off the endangered species. Actually, the day that mm-hmm. the wolves came off the endangered species list uh, in Idaho, they opened up hunting for. They offered the first hunting permits for for wolves. <laughs> right. And there's Good. all these. You know, the, that's like uh, an alcoholic uh, celebrating a year of sobriety by getting drunk. That's, ex- <laughs> that's exactly. That's a perfect <laughs> analogy. And there's all these in, with these environmental groups coming back to them. There's all these campaigns where they make a, a lot because I get them in the mail. There's a picture of a wolf. 
uh, let's save the wolves. Let's save the wolves. Give mm-hmm. us money. And I literally, you know, growing up, never even thought about, okay, I'll give you money without, like, why are the wolves gone? And then to find out this is why the wolves are being decimated. Um, you know, it's because these, these, a lot of times the grass-fed beef operations, the the, uh, the ranchers will go and have them killed. And so, and and this goes for you know pretty much all large predators: mountain lions, mm-hmm. bobcats, coyotes, um, all the way down to ravens. You know, there's this massive extermination of ravens in Idaho earlier or last year, and again, it was because they said, "Oh, well, they're you know preying on livestock." Mm-hmm. Ravens. All right. <laughs> so, so grass-fed uh, ranching, no bueno. <laughs> no. Yeah, and um, and the the water consumption. How does that compare with? Because when I think about just sort of the economics of scaling up any business. You know, the idea is that you achieve efficiencies, right? Like you actually start to save resources per item because you're so scaled up. But it doesn't seem to really function that way with with factory farmed livestock. Well, you know, it is it is vastly more efficient to to raise animals in high intensity concentration uh, to feed the to feed cows grains is way more efficient. Uh, so there is that when we compare it to grass fed. It's extremely destructive to the planet, but it's more efficient. Mm-hmm. And, you know, livestock lobby groups say that, you know, it's more efficient. Um, it's not going to, we're not going to feed the world that way, though. I mean, we're not going to feed the world, you know, in any sort of respect to the environment or to human health by raising animals in, in any manner. And, you know, with the water, no matter where you, if, if a cow is in factory fed or if a cow is grass fed or wherever, a cow drinks uh, thir- around 35 gallons of water no matter where you put them. There's 1.5 billion cows on the planet versus around 7 billion humans. So what's that? One out of four, one out of five uh, humans is a cow, yet humans only drink... About more. 7 billion gallons of water. Yeah, and uh, and a cow... So, you know, a hundred... So. You know, we're talking about hundreds of of millions of gallons. You know, it's... it's Billions. <laughs> billions, yeah. Right. I mean, it's just... It is astronomical the amount of of water resources that go into feeding these, and that animals. doesn't that doesn't even include uh, raising all the crops and all the feed of the 150 pounds of food that a cow eats every single mm-hmm. day. Imagine how much water is uh, being used to grill that food. Um, so they're just I lo- you know I love cows, I love the animals, but in, in a way they're giant termites. <laughs> you know, just kind of eating up the planet where. Uh, just, you know, giant middlemen where mm-hmm. we could be having these resources ourselves and back to the wildlife. So we were talking earlier about how, you know, we're collectively optimistic and, you know, you feel like we've already passed this tipping point. But what do the numbers say in terms of kind of where we're heading? I mean, is is this livestock agriculture continuing to expand or is it starting to contract in response to these trends that are starting to occur? Well, so uh, some good trends that are happening is actually the U.S. demand on meat is lowering. And, you know, the U.S. is such the world leader for so many reasons. You know, we just are for fashion, for trends. And so what has been happening on the bad side is places like uh, China. They're finally starting to get the, the money and um, the influence of the U.S. is kind of pouring on them. So their demand is getting much higher. 
but we're the world leaders as far as social change and all these things. And and the good news is that our demand on dairy and beef is 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 lower. So so that's the future. That's where the tipping point already has happened, mm-hmm. and that's a really good trend that I see. Yeah, I mean it's easy to be. And I'm guilty of this, like very provincial, like, oh, there's cafe gratitude. Like we're heading in the right direction with this idea that like whatever the United States does, like that's going to solve the problem or not. And and completely overlooking the fact that like China and India are on a completely different program, (laughs) you know, and unless unless we're, you know, of a collective united front, like how much good are we really going to do other than setting this example? I mean, as those countries continue to industrialize and and reach a level of prosperity that historically they haven't you know they're saying screw you like we're it's now it's our time we want to be able to enjoy but, all these things you've been enjoying but that's the thing is i believe us is so influential from you know from again from fashion to music to everything if they all of a sudden start seeing that wow the us has start doing these major changes um, they're going to, everyone's going to start emulating us like they always have been doing. And so, you know, very soon as I already said, the tipping points already kind of happened. The truth is out there. Then they're gonna be like, oh, well, that was yesterday where they're all eating meat and dairy. Now uh, let's do the new cool thing and uh, really care about the planet. And so I believe we'll continue to be world leaders in that way. And, and they will follow suit. Mm-hmm. And the other part of it is that we wanted to make this film as accessible as possible. So part of our you know, funding campaign was to raise money to have the film translated and dubbed in multiple languages. So we're actually in the process right now of having the film dubbed into uh, Mandarin and Hindi. Uh, and we'd like to have more languages spoken in China and India to make the film as accessible as possible so people there can be as, as informed as possible. Right. And you have uh, all of your Kickstarter contributors to thank for that, right? Which was awesome. Like you guys did a great job in raising, you know, in raising money online. You like doubled your goal. Right. It, it was pretty, pretty phenomenal. Cool. We launched a, a Indiegogo campaign. Uh, I keep on, saying Kickstarter, but it's that's Indiegogo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, we launched that campaign on Earth Day, and we reached our initial goal of $54,000 in six days, which was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went on to raising over $117,000 <laughs> online in 44 days. Uh, and again, yeah, I mean, those 1,400 plus supporters, it's a, just been absolutely amazing. And these are supporters from all around the world. They are from India and from China and from, you know, Dubai and from mm-hmm. all over Europe and Australia and Taiwan. I mean, everywhere in the world, there's people who say, yes, this is here is a solution. Here is an answer. Here's someone, here's people who are actually saying what needs to be said. Um, and they're all lending their voices to that. So it's exciting. You know, Kip has said a number of times, we made a movie and now there's people making a movement. And that's that's exciting. Yeah, that's cool. And, and just in case uh, we didn't make it abundantly clear, <laughs> the real solution here is if you really want to take a stand for the sustainability of the planet, you've got to stop eating these animal products and adopt a plant-based approach to your life and your diet, right? And so how do the numbers break down in terms of water usage and greenhouse gas emissions, et cetera, when you, know, when you compare somebody who is on a plant-based diet versus somebody who's eating the standard American diet? I mean, are there yeah, I mean, stats on that? Yeah. I mean, and for the average American, you'd save about, um, you know, about 1,500 gallons of water per day. I think it's around 20. 1,500, yeah. 1500 gallons. That's yeah. a long shower, man. It's <laughs> a lot of water. Yeah, you know, and that's per day, just from switching from a, you know, average American meat diet to a, a plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's upwards around 20 pounds of CO2 equivalent um, per day. Um, 
you know, I think somewhere forested in... Forested land. Yeah, it's something like 60 square feet of forested land per day. You know, and then you think about that and just you know, visualize those numbers that every single day by eating meat, dairy, and eggs, you're destroying, just decimating. Um, and not to say that a, a plant-based diet doesn't have its downsides as well, because, you know, animal agriculture for... Or agriculture to feed 7 billion people... Is, it's still going to have a deleterious effect on the planet. It is. But if we reduced, you know, right now, you know, about 70% of all the world's grain are fed to livestock. And that's 70% of all the world's farmland is dedicated mm-hmm. to raising food for livestock. So if we get lower our meat consumption, we can allow all these fields of genetically engineered corn and soybean to revert back to forest. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where we can... You know, now you're now you're just talking crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, entire and 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 it's happened. You can look at places in the world. Do you think the good senator from Iowa is going to allow that to stand for one minute? Right. You know, when when people start valuing ecosystems more than you know dollars in their bank account, I think then you know we'll be on the right path. And and it is happening. You know, it's like things are changing, uh, and people are waking up. And the truth is that we don't really have a choice if we're interested in preserving the planet and any. Any semblance of what we have today for ourselves or for our children or our grandchildren, we have to make radical changes. There's no other choice. And it's connecting the dots to seeing what um, that's happening so fast is seeing what our diet, what our food choices, what it affects. So um, historically, we ate for ourselves, for our own nutrition, for ourselves or even for our family. And a good analogy we have in the film is, um, again, going back to smoking, there's secondhand smoking. When you're smoking yourself or, you know, if you're in a car and you're at home, you're affecting the other people, your family members around you, but for eating, uh, call it secondhand eating. And it, your, the choice that you make not only affects your local community, your family, it affects everyone on the entire planet. And that's where I really have to look at your food choices. Uh, it's secondhand eating, not only eating for yourselves, but eating for others. That's interesting. I've never heard that term before. Um, but I think it's it dovetails nicely into, did you come up with that word? Is that yours? <laughs> Uh, Kip, Kip coins quite yeah. a number Secondhand of, uh, eating <laughs> of brilliant. Well, we brilliant kept on terms. coming back to smoking. Like, oh, smoking could never be taken. I was Second like, come on, eating. Let's remember. That's like conscious uncoupling. <laughs> you know, that one like might but might come back and bite you. Secondhand eating. I don't know. I'm gonna play with that one. Um, but I th- but it does dovetail nicely into the idea of conscious capitalism. Like whether you're buying a pair of Tom shoes because you know another pair of shoes is gonna get donated to somebody, or wearing you know buying Warby Parker glasses because they donate a pair of glasses. Like you could f- the point of the point of feeling good about your purchase, like you're contributing to something more than just whatever you selfishly are trying to acquire. Um, if we can. Uh, create that consciousness and infuse our food system with that same kind of mentality, I think that that would be a step in the right direction. Yeah, truly coming to that vision where we really are one living as a family on this planet and you're, we're just one part of an organism all together. And, you know, my nourishment, sure, that's one part of a cell of this entire organism, but what about these other cells around me? You know, if there's, there's a cancer in another part of the country, well, that's part of us as an entire species together, and that's going to eventually affect me. So, you know, I need to plan ahead and proactively eat for, you know, someone across the entire planet because realizing we're all connected. Right. And now we're going to go sing Kumbaya. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, I think a big part of this is, you know, a lot of these ideas are not new. Like they do come from that hippie generation, right? But we're, we're past that now. And, and how do we make these ideas accessible and palatable to somebody who 
kind of has that reaction, like, whoa, you're, you sound like a crazy hippie, you know? How do, how do you communicate or effectively message a mainstream society to get them to really understand that, like, no, this is actually something that affects all of us, and this is something that we really all should care about and, and you know, vote with our dollars on and, and, you know, kind of carry in our consciousness? You know, we, we, we touch on that in the film is, is just showing what are the impacts and what does it mean to you and what does it mean to us as a society? But yeah, on a personal level, you know, what does this, what does this really mean? Um, and from very selfish reasons, we have to change because mm-hmm. there's, you know, so here, this is an easy one. People don't want to, this summer in California, there's going to be water restrictions. Mm-hmm. They're going to, you know, limit whether you can water your lawn or not. People don't like that. So it's Okay. Lower your meat consumption. Yeah, people really don't like that. Yeah. Lower your meat consumption. You can water your lawn as much as you want. Mm-hmm. All, all day long if you wanted. Just lower your meat consumption. Uh, did you guys see uh, any of what Shane Smith was doing at Vice, like on some of these environmental pieces that he's been doing recently? And he seems to be coming from a very pessimistic point of view. Like, it's too late. Like, we're past the point of no return. You know, there's doing research on this film it is very daunting what we're facing. We are in dire times. Um, and it's, the truth is that it's extremely scary. If we can't stop what we're doing, there is no hope. If we can change how we're doing things, we can at very least slow things down. We can buy ourselves some time. And, and ultimately, we can minimize suffering on this planet. We can minimize suffering for ourselves, for our children, for our grandchildren, for other species and entire ecosystems. So, you know, whether there's hope or not, we can minimize suffering. And that's what I focus on. Mm -hmm. Uh, As James Cameron famously said recently, uh, I don't know exactly what his words were, but they were something along the lines of, you cannot consider yourself a true environmentalist uh, if you continue to ingest animal products, right? Is that what he said? Something like that, right? (laughs) It was close, right? Howard Lyman says that as well. Howard Lyman says it as well. And uh, that's the clear uh, message of this film. And I think what you just said kind of beautifully wraps it up, and that's a great place to kind of leave it leave it off and and tantalize people and encourage them to go see the movie. So, thanks you guys for coming by, and uh, I'm excited because uh, we have the premiere coming up here in Los Angeles soon. It's going to be June 26th, right? Yeah. Uh, and there are some seats available. So for listeners out there who live in the Los Angeles area, uh, come and join us. It's going to be at the Crest Theater in Westwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can get tickets online by going to cowspiracy.com and find out for, we're going to be doing a national tour. So there's going to be screenings and premieres all mm-hmm. across the country. Uh, those dates should be up on our website pretty soon. We'll be able to get tickets. Um, and it'll be, yeah, again, across the country and then on to the rest of the world. Right, and so it's going to be like a whistle stop tour. It's starting in LA. You're going to have uh, you're you're doing a premiere in San Francisco also on the 19th, mm-hmm, right? The 19th of June is, is that up the, on the website? Yeah, that's the world premiere. We sold out actually of those tickets in uh, two days. There is still some tickets available for an earlier screening. A few. Just and a LA few. just has a few, so get them soon. And we're going to have a mm. great panel discussion after the film in LA and San Francisco. So it's going to be uh, entertaining and. Good time. It's gonna be good, right. good night. So uh, yeah, and then uh, and then going across the country. Yeah, speaking the good word, right? Yeah, absolutely. But if people want to learn more about the movie and what you guys are up to, the best place to do that is cowspiracy.com, right? Absolutely. And are you guys on Twitter? It's cowspiracy. Yeah, movie? Facebook cowspiracy. Uh, yeah, our Facebook is cowspiracy the movie. Mm-hmm. Cowspiracy okay. the sustainability secret. Um, and yeah, we're on Twitter as well. 
can't think of where Pretty, else we're, we're uh, that's all you need to do yeah we're all over <laughs> the know? place uh just you know search search cowspiracy will pop up for sure cool and uh yeah i can't uh encourage you guys out there listening enough um to go see this movie there's uh some really really illuminating stuff and uh great talking heads from some of the leading pioneers in this movement even you know people like a couple of past podcast guests dr michael clapper one of my favorites Right. That's a good part. Yeah, he's great, right? And uh, like we said earlier, David Simon, Michael Pollan, who are some of the other people that appear in the movie? Dr. Richard Openlander is truly brilliant. Um, sea Shepherd's in there. Sea Shepherd, About the whole, right. We have a great, we didn't even explore that, the whole ocean section mm-hmm. that's very powerful. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a whole Michael list. Michael Pollan is in yeah. there, mm-hmm. whether you like him or not. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole list of experts uh, in the film from you know all different backgrounds. And it's a, it's definitely an exciting film for on many levels. Yeah. All right, man. I'm excited for you guys. It's going to be awesome. Thank you. Are Thanks you ready so for it? Oh yeah. It's all going to start happening, man. Yeah. It yeah. must happen. All right. Cool. <laughs> all right. You guys feel good about this? Do we do it? Yeah. yeah. Are we good? Right yeah. On. Thanks so much. All right, man. Thank, you. Thank you. Appreciate right. it. Peace. Plants. All right, everybody. That's our show. That was powerful, man. That was intense, right? It's pretty heavy stuff, I got to say. But you know what, man? We got to swallow this stuff. We got to face it. We cannot be in denial about these issues. There is no sense in hiding from it. So let's do it together. Let's face it together. Thanks for sticking around to uh, hear the whole thing. If you want to support the show, we hope you do. The big thing is to just tell a friend and, of course, use the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com for all your Amazon purchases. Put it up uh, up in your uh, browser up there and won't cost you a cent extra, but Amazon kicks us some loose change and helps us keep doing what we're doing. You can also donate to the podcast, and I love it when you guys are sharing the podcast on Instagram, showing pictures of you guys uh, running or commuting or whatever it is you're doing while listening to it, so keep that up. It's awesome. Uh, maybe after hearing uh, today's message, you were inspired to get more plant-based Uh, Well, a good way to begin, if you're not sure where to start, is to check out my ultimate guide to plant-based nutrition. It's at mindbodygreen.com. It's an online course, uh, a couple hours of streaming video content, online community, downloadable tools. It's a pretty awesome way to begin. Uh, And if you're into online courses, I uh, I just finished a new one that's up right now. It's called The Art of Living with Purpose, and it's two hours of streaming video on setting and achieving goals and trying to do essentially what the theme of this podcast is, how to tap into, unlock, and unleash your best, most authentic self. And really proud of that one. So you can check both of those out at mindbodygreen.com. Of course, go to richroll.com for all your plant power provisions. We have our nutritional products, you know, about Jai Repair, post-workout athletic recovery supplement. We have our vitamin B12 that's a staple. That's a must-have, especially if you're on a plant-based diet. We've got a new product. It's called Ion, and it is our electrolyte supplement for the athletes out there. As you know, when you exercise, you sweat, and you sweat out your electrolytes, right? And you got to put those things back if you want to function properly. The problem is most of the products out in the market for replenishing your electrolytes are also laced with tons of sugar, artificial flavoring additives, and they come in colors like purple, green, and orange drinks. Not so good, right? You don't want to be doing that. Stop that. So uh, how are we going to get the electrolytes back? Well, uh, this product is great because it's a balanced 
supplement that replaces. See, the thing is with these Gatorade drinks and, and the like, they're really good at, at replacing a lot of the sodium, but not so good when it comes to like calcium and magnesium and potassium. We got to replace the electrolytes in the same proportion in which we're sweating them out, right? So that's what Ion is all about. It's a completely balanced electrolyte product that uh, puts in what you need without giving you any more than you need. And it does it in a very balanced way to most effectively replenish what your body loses in sweat. So anyway, if you want to learn more about that, and you should if you're an athlete, go to richroll.com. There's much more information about the product there and also some pretty cool, helpful infographics that help illustrate what I'm trying to say as well as a sort of comparison between what... uh, what the uh, ingredients in ion are versus the ingredients in some of the other typical electrolyte replacement products out on the market. So that's it. Uh, Let's wrap it up, you guys. I guess I want to leave you with this thought, and that is this. We are either part of the problem or part of the solution. I'm either part of the problem or part of the solution. So this week, you know what would be awesome is if we all think about our own level of sustainability, the things that we have control over. What are you doing or not doing and what can you improve or what can you dial up so that we can increase that sustainability quotient in our own lives? So that would be great if you think about that because you know what? We're all in this together, you guys. All in this together. So that's it. Thanks for staying with me throughout the whole episode and I'll see you guys next week. Peace. Plants.